Hello brothers and sisters, or perhaps I should say fellow comrades under lockdown. It's my pleasure today to share for our encouragement, but also for our challenge, some thoughts from God's Word. I've lost count now how many weeks we've been under shutdown, but I think it's fair to say that in my case the novelty has certainly worn off. I'm beginning to crave freedom, some kind of restoration of normality. Under these circumstances, it would seem appropriate to consider the subject of freedom as taught by the Lord Jesus himself. I'd like to do that under the title Freedom Road. And in the process, perhaps we can share some lessons from our lockdown experience so far. The subject of freedom was central to the Lord Jesus' teaching. Actually, not just his teaching, but his entire mission. Remember the Isaiah prophecy about him, which he read in public in his hometown synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. So central to his mission were to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and to release the oppressed. Put another way, in an earlier script of Isaiah's writings, to proclaim freedom for the captives and the release from darkness for prisoners. It's great to explore a topic which is so central to the Lord's mission, and perhaps under our current lockdown circumstances, where to some extent our freedom has been taken from us, this amazing subject will become all the more real and precious to us. That's certainly been my prayer during my preparation for this short talk. But let's take our main scripture text from John's Gospel. And we'll go to chapter 8, and we'll read from verse 31 to 41. John 8, 31 to 41. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me, because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. The other morning, I came down to breakfast to find an enormous bumblebee buzzing around the kitchen. You know the kind of thing, the size of a small helicopter and nearly as noisy. While trying to dodge out of its way, my mind went through a number of scenarios. I actually quite fancied myself as a fearless bee slayer, dispatching the brute with a single blow of a rolled up newspaper. But you'll be pleased to know that I ditched that option in favour of coming to its rescue, promptly developed a strategy for its safe release into the garden where it could fly away to do the things that bees are supposed to do. My strategy involved the use of a rinsed out milk bottle and a coaster. 
I'll leave the rest to your imagination. But I found observing the bee's behaviour on her road to freedom quite telling. Firstly, she knew she was in the wrong place, seeing the garden outside, but not understanding the concept of the glass window that separated her from it. She would fly headlong into the glass, but of course this was a hopeless endeavour. Then there was a bit where for a short time she was confined to the cramped interior of the milk bottle, which made her go completely crazy. Of course, from her perspective, she was taken from the relative freedom of the kitchen and put under lockdown. Even the option of flying headlong into the window, however futile, was taken away from her. From my perspective, both situations were equally hopeless. What she really needed was freedom. The point is, a huge bumblebee in my kitchen is a bit like a fish out of water or a Christian under lockdown. It's not where she was designed to be and as a consequence she was not able to do what bees are supposed to do. We'll hear more about her later. In my home assembly of Manchester we've been enjoying a systematic study of the Gospel of John. Our perspective has been to consider John assembling a group of witnesses telling their story in such a way that us, his audience, will be left with the compelling conclusion that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we may have eternal life in his name. That's how John himself describes the purpose of the book. It's there in chapter 20, verse 31. So we get to chapter 8, and we're introduced to a collection of witnesses who had some kind of belief in Jesus, but it was either not genuine or somehow did not go far enough. The point being that those who genuinely believe in him are given a kind of freedom, a release from the shackles of sin, uh, shackles of the law, and um, the heavy yoke on their shoulders, like prisoners set free from darkness, something that was not evident in the lives or the behaviour of the group of Jews, even though they had believed in him. At this point, it seems appropriate to attempt a definition of freedom. Firstly, something that it's not. Freedom is not the abolition of rules. It's not about being released from the rules and regulations of society, such that we're free to do whatever we like, how we like, where we like, and with whoever we like. This is not freedom at all. It's actually the recipe for anarchy. Each person free to do their own thing without consideration of the consequences for themselves, or for others around them. You know, to some extent you might feel that this is me defining the obvious, but surprisingly there are many who seem to subscribe to this definition of freedom, particularly amongst believers in God. I remember many years ago debating the Bible-based concept of freedom with a dear Christian colleague and lovely brother in Christ. From a denomination point of view, he was openly nomadic, happy to hop from church to church just taking the bits from each church group that appealed to him and that he found enjoyable. Perhaps stopping a little longer with churches where he felt he was given the freedom to express himself as the Spirit led. His argument was that Jesus came to abolish rules and regulations, and any church that imposed rules on membership, the role of women, who can worship and how worship should be conducted, were actually undermining the key message and work of Jesus. On the surface, Perhaps quite a compelling argument, but when you follow it through, it's a recipe for a kind of Christian anarchy, where anything goes. No, 
Freedom is not having the opportunity to do what we like, but rather having the opportunity to do what we ought. Freedom is not about abolishing rules, it's about removing obstacles that get in the way of us living the lives that God intended us to live, following the Lord Jesus together as, as his disciples and enjoying a freedom of Christian service, the secret of living life to the full, as Jesus would later go on to teach. If I'm a bee, freedom is having the opportunity to do what bees are supposed to do, without any obstacles in the way, be that a glass window or the walls of a milk bottle. In a nutshell, freedom is not doing as we please without restriction, but it is doing what we should without restriction. Another principle I like to state about freedom is that it is more about a journey than a destination. Yes, there is a sense in which we are set free, a kind of once and for all experience. For example, the woman who was healed by touching Jesus' cloak, Jesus said to her, be free from your suffering, a wonderfully instant thing that of course equates to the freedom we receive when we first accept the Lord Jesus as our Saviour, freed from God's wrath against us because of our sin. As John declared in his doxology at the beginning of the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ, the ruler of the kings of the earth, him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And this is only one aspect of freedom the destination, if you like, and it's not what the Lord Jesus was teaching his audience in John chapter 8. The language Jesus is using is a language of a journey, a kind of road to freedom, in which freedom is both the destination and the journey itself, the place that today I'm calling Freedom Road. We have the same principle laid down for us in Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia, where in chapter 5 verse 1 he declares, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free, a kind of combination of a means as well as an end. But let's look at the journey that Jesus describes um, to those Jews who believed in him in John chapter 8. And we'll go back to verse 31. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. For the next few minutes, we'll consider the sequence Jesus describes, if you like, the milestones along Freedom Road. But I should first point out that Freedom Road is not a straight path, and it's often uphill and passes through both beauty spots as well as dark, treacherous places. There are also switchback turns on the way, so the milestones that Jesus described are recurring scenes and themes along the way each contributing to our experience of the freedom journey for which Christ has set us free. I see the Lord Jesus referring to five milestones. Number one, he says, or um, John writes, to the Jews who had believed, so belief is part of it. Milestone number two, if you hold to my teaching, so it's holding to his teaching. Number three, you really are my disciples discipleship number four then you'll know the truth truth and number five and the truth will set you free freedom so we have belief holding to jesus teaching discipleship truth and freedom all milestones or elements of this um, journey on freedom road not only is the lord jesus describing a journey but it seems to me that the milestones of that journey are in a kind of 
counterintuitive order, actually. Instinctively, I would have expected freedom to come first, with the others following on, but seemingly that's not how it works. First, Jesus says we must believe. Now, belief is either in a fact because we know it's true, or it's an act of faith because we trust it to be true. The first step onto Freedom Road is about recognising Jesus' true identity. It's the step that these Jews appeared to have taken themselves. Second is to hold to his teaching. The word hold means to stay or abide. The same word that the Lord uses in the illustration of the vine in John chapter 15. His disciples were to abide in him. Journeying along Freedom Road involves being anchored to his word. This is a point of principle. The words of the Lord Jesus are our reference point. Abandon them in favour of some other, then we stray off Freedom Road. Sadly, I think this is where Jesus' audience had got to. They believed in him, even the devil does that, but did not hold to his teaching. Third, he says, then you really are my disciples. About discipleship, it's commitment. Some have called it followership. We have now begun to move along Freedom Road. It starts as a day-by-day activity and develops into a lifelong commitment, being committed to going where the Lord Jesus leads, that is, putting my feet where his have already been. Have you ever considered that the word disciple looks a bit like the word discipline? Something tells me they're closely related. Have a think about that. Fourth, Jesus says, then you will know the truth. Jesus describes himself as the truth, as well as the way and the life. There's something in this expression that alludes to the complete story. If we go back to the lady who was freed from her illness in an instant, Mark records in his account that once her action had been exposed, she came and fell at Jesus' feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Freedom Road is built on a foundation of truth, every aspect of truth the good, the bad, as well as the ugly. We live in a time when, if truth hurts, which it often does, we're encouraged simply to deny it. It's become perfectly acceptable to spin our own truth into something that's less painful. Freedom Road involves cherishing all truth. In John 16, where the Lord Jesus is introducing his disciples to the Holy Spirit, the one who would, in a way, succeed him as their ever-present companion, describes one of his many roles as being to lead them into truth. This is such a central part of the Holy Spirit's work in us that Jesus calls him the Spirit of Truth. Fifth, and the truth will set you free. Knowing the truth is key to freedom, the way that God intended. Perhaps a simple but memorable way of understanding this is to consider the Lord Jesus as to who he actually is, our creator, the one who designed us, who made us, who knows us better than we know ourselves. More than that, he's the controller and sustainer of all things, knowing the end from the beginning, always seeing the bigger picture. He has laid down for us his detailed instructions that the truth, which if we follow, will lead us into the most fulfilling life we could possibly live. If you like, us living the life God intended by following our Maker's instructions. 
without anything getting in the way. Now that is true freedom. But you know, our motivation here is not really about living a fulfilled life. That's really a, arguably a fringe benefit. Our real motivation is to exercise the freedom we have to bring honour and glory to God by the things that we do. If we go back to John's Revelation doxology, we get the fuller picture about the objective of our freedom. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to God, serving his God and Father, to him be glory for ever and ever. Amen. We said at the start that Jesus' audience in John 8, although believing in him, were evidently not enjoying the freedom that is given to true disciples. Pious as they were, it seems their lives were far from honouring God. It turns out that one of the issues they had was they didn't appreciate the freedom Jesus was offering because they had no sense that they needed it. What followed was an interaction about how they, being the privileged children of Abraham, had never known any kind of spiritual slavery and therefore there was nothing they needed to be set free from. In his dialogue with them, the Lord Jesus makes an amazing statement. He says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's verse 36. He's really emphasising his unique credentials as the Son of God, the one who was from God, declaring the truth about God, and therefore the one who held the keys to real freedom, the kind of freedom they knew nothing about. It's as though he was saying, so you think you are free now? Well, you ain't seen nothing yet. If you follow me, I will set you free for a freedom experience the like of which you've never dreamed of. What a privilege is ours to be those who he loves, who have been freed from our sins by his blood and have been made to be a kingdom of priests, serving God to his glory. The challenge to me in my lockdown rings out. To what extent am I enjoying the freedom God intended? Or in the reality today, to what extent in my lockdown experience am I missing the freedom that I perhaps once took for granted pre-lockdown? Without doubt, there have been some positive elements to my lockdown experience anyway. But I, for one, am at the stage where I'm really craving the lifting of the lockdown in whatever form that might take. I'm sure I'm not alone when I say I miss the remembrance hugely, the physical element of a spiritual service that has no effective virtual substitute. Singing the overflow of hearts into psalms, hymns and spiritual songs done live and not in such a way that I'm terrified in case I forgot to mute myself. Physical fellowship, face-to-face -face interaction with brothers and sisters for which Zoom is a very poor substitute. I guess the question is, when the lockdown is lifted, will I be ready to re-engage with fellow priests in the kingdom enjoying serving together on Freedom Road? These challenges raise a few more questions in my mind. If I'm not availing myself of the kind of freedom indeed that the Lord Jesus was teaching, what obstacles may be in the way? How did they get there? More importantly, how can I get rid of them? Back to my bumblebee friend. Having trapped her in the milk bottle by placing the coaster over the entrance, I took her into the garden, put the bottle upright on a table, removed the coaster and retreated to a safe distance. To my surprise and frustration, 
She continued to buzz around in her state of lockdown, not realising that the thing that separated her from the freedom she craved had indeed been removed for her. All she needed to do was fly in the right direction. The Jews Jesus was talking to thought they had freedom when they didn't. You know, perhaps the converse can apply too. Freedom is ours for the taking, but somehow we remain captive, never really stepping forward onto Freedom Road. I can think of many things that encroach on the freedom the Lord Jesus intended for me to enjoy, and I'm sure there are others too that you can think of. Perhaps we should leave that for our own reflection, or perhaps another video ministry at some point. Of course, our review of the topic of freedom is incomplete without including a consideration of the person who secured it for us. Actually, actually the reason why my progress along Freedom Road matters is because of what it cost the man who secured it for me. In his case, letting go of a liberty like no other, that which is the exclusive right of the sovereign creator of the Lord of the universe, becoming himself a slave, the obedient servant of Isaiah 61, and the bondservant of Philippians 2, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, held on to, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What kind of love is this? Who died in agony. He who had done no wrong was crucified for me. What kind of man is this who laid aside his throne that I might know the love of God? What kind of man is this? What kind of love is this that God gave himself for me? I am the guilty one, yet I go free. What kind of love is this, a love so fully shown? I bow my heart before his throne for love so kind as this.